Um, I really, I'm not going to preach from Mark this morning. Uh, I, I felt this message stirring in me uh, this week, and I'd like to speak to you this morning about keeping your eyes on the prize. You might know that scripture well. And I want to start with three quotes. Uh, one by Michael Phelps, the Olympic athlete, and one from the scripture, two from the scripture. And uh, I forgot to tell you, Nick, I'm really sorry. I forgot to tell you that I had a PowerPoint. So, so hopefully the PowerPoint will come up. But um, if you've got your Bibles, the first thing I'd like to look at is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, you know this scripture well. In verse 24, it says this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So we're going to talk about running the race this morning to win the prize. Secondly, Michael Phelps said this. Remember, Michael Phelps is probably the greatest athlete that the world has known. He was a swimmer, and he won 22 Olympic golds. Do you remember Michael Phelps, Phelps uh, particularly in London in 2012? He said this. He said, if you want to be the best, you have to do what others are not willing to do. If you want to be the best, you have to do what others are not willing to do. And then my last scripture that I'd like you to think about is John chapter 5, verse 44. I'll just read it to you. It says this, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? That's interesting. And do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. We seek glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from God. So what I, I've got one aim this morning, and my aim is this, is to encourage you and to help you to find courage to live your life and continue to live your life with courage and without fear in this extraordinary time that we live in. That's my only aim this morning. And we live in a media age, and every day we are bombarded with new statistics about coronavirus, the rate of infection, the current mortality rate, how this compares to the national average uh, over a period of years. We are reminded about the fragile state of the economy and how our kids going back to school and university possibly can have the negative effect of ushering in a whole second wave of infections. And there's the ongoing reality that... Um, Sorry, I'm getting messages here that I need to share this, the, the password of uh, Forest Town Church with a whole lot of people. I don't know why I'm getting that on my iPad, but um, I am. So if you want to log on, uh, the password is at the back there. You can, you can have a look at it. There's an ongoing reality for, for in, our, in our society that um, many fa still face the, the, the reality of having to shield themselves because they are of underlying health conditions that make them particularly vulnerable, and I understand that completely. At the same time, there's all this babble on social media and many other forums, everyone offering their opinion as to what is right and correct, 
and how we should be responding and what governments should be doing, what governments are not doing. And much of it, can I be just honest with you this morning, much of it is plain unhelpful and at the best it's confusing. And so I want to uh, give a quote to you this morning of a guy called uh, Jeffrey Kluger who writes for Time magazine. Time magazine has been going for many, many years in America, long before the internet was invented. This is what he has to say. If you are looking for solid information on COVID-19, the internet is not always your best option. Equal parts encyclopedia and junkyard, solid science on the one hand, and rubbish, rumors, and fabulism on the other. There was an article that I read this week on the BBC, on the news feeds, uh, by Mariana Spring and a guy called Mike Welding, and they, the article title was this, How COVID-19 Myths Are Now Increasingly Merging with Various Conspiracy Theories. And here's I quote, Online and in real life, two viral conspiracy theories are increasingly coming together. At first glance, the only thing they appear to have in common is their vast distance from reality. On the one hand, QAnon, which is an anonymous group that posts things on Twitter, propose a convoluted conspiracy theory that contends that President Trump is waging a secret war against Satan worshipping elite pedophiles. On the other hand, a swirling mass of pseudoscience claiming that coronavirus does not exist or is not fatal or any number of other baseless claims, these two ideas are now increasingly coming together in a grand conspiracy mashup. And you want to throw anti-vaxxers into that equation as well. There's just this mashup of, of information on the internet that we are supposed to uh, find truth in. And then added to that is the obvious pressure that we all face on how we live and organize while all of this is going on. And then there's another layer of political turmoil with in various parts of the world, ongoing violence and protests with the Black Lives Matter movements, for example, it's just one example of that. And it's been incredibly sad for me to see that right down from national leaders to ordinary people in the streets, there seems to be very little attempt to really engage and understand those with different points of view, but rather accusation, political point scoring, it's the default of the day. And everybody's just concerned of winning political points. And there's no real, uh, any, any, to simply try and understand is violated by all of those things, and there's no positive real engagement from either side, and uh, we all seem to be being informed by all of these things. What's well, my view? that all of these pressures and stresses that we are facing are culminating in a reluctance and a fear in people to engage with one another and get back to some kind of normal life. This is my conviction. And I see it evidenced in many ways all around me. Uh, last weekend, I lost um, holiday time, and we decided to go into London to the Andy Warhol, Andy Warhol exhibition. If you haven't seen the Andy Warhol Warhol exhibition in Mayfair, please go and do yourself a favor and go and have a look. He was a wonderful uh, illustrator and pop artist that has affected uh, our culture in a profound way. And it's in Mayfair. So as you know, Mayfair is where all the brand shops are, the luxury shops, um, uh, fashion houses, 
All of them empty, quiet, no one around. And it seems to me that there's this underlying mood in our nation that it's much easier just to withdraw to the comfort of our homes where people love us and where there's no kind of uh, having to deal with anything outside of that and just wait for the vaccine to be developed and deployed and hope that in the next kind of six months to a year it happens and then we can all get back to normal as life as we once knew it. Here's the problem with that. We can't withdraw for the next year and not engage with each other and not do anything and not live our lives. And so my aim right now, like I said at the beginning, is to encourage you to lift up your eyes to the cross of Jesus and to find courage in what the gospel preaches and what the gospel teaches that you can live your life courageously without fear. Yes, amen. And I want to encourage you not to allow people's political language to influence how you see the gospel, but that the gospel informs our politics. Amen. Can someone say amen? All over the world, it's too much that the political, the political language of people, it's my brother, sorry. The political language of people informs their view of the gospel. And no, the gospel informs how we view politics and how we see people. And so here's another quote for you. Uh, Andy Bannister is a Scottish um, uh, theologian and writer and broadcast and apologist. And he quotes another um, figure that you might have heard of, um, Neil Oliver, who presented a, a thing on, on TV a couple of uh, seasons ago called Coasts. He's an archaeologist. And he says this, it's a fascinating insight into how many view the meaninglessness of our Western culture. He says this, Neil Oliver, in the UK, uh, this quote should come up, in the UK and the rest of the West, we have created a reality in which staying alive is everything because there's nothing else. Staying alive is absolutely everything because there's nothing else. And I think he's onto something. Perhaps this underlying belief is a contributing factor to this reluctance and fear in our towns and cities, stopping people from engaging with one another in a safe, kind way that doesn't violate any of the medical advice. We can do it. We are sitting, 120 of us are sitting here this morning, doing all that we can to respect the medical advice, but still trying to engage with each other and engage with Jesus. It is possible we can do it. We just need to find courage. And so, maybe for many, the thought of losing this life is unthinkable, and that's why there's this underlying panic in people's lives. And I want to encourage you, as you, as you lift up your eyes to the cross this morning and you find courage for your own life, I want, to, I want to encourage you to go out and help others to find courage for their lives. I love this verse. Hebrews 12, 12 says this, Therefore, Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level the path of your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Amen. This is a time for all of us to strengthen ourselves in Christ. And once we've done that, once we've found courage in Him, we reach out and help to strengthen those that are feeling weak, whose knees want to give way whose arms feel weak, who feel like they can't cope, this is the time for Christians to say, let me draw alongside you. I'm going to be with you.
I'm with you in this race. I'm going to help you that we can finish the race together. See, the great claim, and you know this, of the Christian faith is that death doesn't have the last word. It doesn't have the last say. It doesn't have the final, final view on all of this. We believe that although we are called to live in this world for this period of time, we are not of this world. And in addition to that, we are not motivated by the same things that are motivating the rest of the world. We can't expect people to live like Christians who are not Christians. We can't expect governments to behave in a Christian way when they are not Christians. Yes? It's the time for the church and Christians to find courage and to demonstrate through lives that are salt and light that there is a king on the throne and his name is Jesus. And we know that there's life and there's reward for us here on earth and also when we go to glory, far beyond anything that we can dream for and hope of or imagine. And I've always found Paul a fascinating man. He was ambitious. Do you realize how motivated he was? And what motivated him was what we've read already this morning, the prize, the crown. That's what motivated him, what he knew he was going to receive one day. And when we read from 1 Corinthians 9, he's not talking about salvation. He's not saying that the prize is being saved. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the well done, the good and faithful servant, the smile from Jesus, from God our Father, he's talking about that reward that each of us are to receive at the judgment seat of Christ one day. That's what motivated Paul. And that's why I included that scripture, John 5. We do not live to receive glory from one another. We live to receive the glory from the Father that one day we will receive. And so 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul is not talking here about being saved. He's talking about receiving your inheritance, your reward, your final reward one day from God the Father, which is your inheritance. And this begins the moment you are saved, the moment you come to Christ, and it culminates in the, on that great day when we will receive our reward from Him. And it comes here on earth as we walk in the light, as we are sought. And it comes as the result of our obedience. And then we begin to discover God's plan for our lives. That's when we begin to enjoy the reward that God has for us. I wish I could say that all Christians automatically receive their inheritance. Can't. This is where I agree with Artie Kendall, who's written on these things many times over. Some Christians do indeed come into their inheritance, but others sadly blow their inheritance and never fully realize what God has for them. I also wish I could say that it's inevitable that all Christians will equally, equally receive their reward in heaven. But again, I don't believe that to be so. Some will and some won't. The scripture we read makes it plain. You and I will receive the reward in heaven one day when in the open we receive what is due us, each of us as individuals, according to the things we have done in our body, whether good or bad. That's what Paul says. And here I want to come back to the, 
the scripture, the uh, quote I read from Michael Phelps right at the beginning. Do you notice that when each, when you enter into a competition, you have to compete and you have to do all that you can to train yourself to win the prize. Here's the good news, though, all of us as Christians. When it comes to pleasing God, we are not competing with each other. Can I say that again? When it comes to pleasing God, we do not compete with one another. Why do I say that? Well, because in Psalm 47 it says, God chooses the inheritance that He has for you and the inheritance that He has for me. He chose our inheritance for us. Psalm 47 verse 4 says, He chose it for us, the pride of Jacob whom He loved. In other words, all of us can get the gold for our lives. All of us can get the inheritance that God had for us. My inheritance is different to the one for Helen. Helen's inheritance is different from mine. Ours is different from each of yours. You have an inheritance that God has set aside for you to enjoy and to live in both on this earth and in glory. And you are to run your life with faith in obedience so that you get the reward God has for you. That's what it's about. We are not in competition with each other. And in fact, when you encourage me in God to find my inheritance, it helps you. And when I encourage you in God to go after your inheritance, it encourages me. We all win if we put our hearts into what God is saying here. I read that um, Michael Phelps was interviewed by Piers Morgan on CNN after the um, Olympics in 2012 here in London, and he said this. He said, for every, every day, for five years, he was in the pool training. Every day, for five years, he was in the pool training. Why? Because he wanted to win the gold. And so he was prepared to sacrifice and do stuff in his life, which none of us did, and combined with his natural ability, he was the greatest, most celebrated athlete that we have known. Great price to achieve a temporary gold that is not even going to be recognized in heaven one day, just for the gold of the medal of the Olympics. But you and I, we're living for that well done. We're living for that good and faithful servant. We're living for that smile of Jesus on that judgment day, the smile of the Father on your life and my life saying, well done. Well done to you. Here's your inheritance. That's what we're living for. And so we're living for that glory. And so I just want to say to you, it's going to take a lifetime of faith, of exercising faith, of being obedient to what God says to us. It's going to take a lifetime for us to enjoy that reward. It's that kind of training that we are going through right now. How are you going to respond right now to what's going around on you? Are you going to listen to all this kind of, kind of conspiracy theory junk? Or are you going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your devotions telling you what He wants to tell you? Are you going to allow your heart to be more informed by the internet and the television and the fear-mongering out there? Or are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you in the quiet place in your devotion and say, my son, my daughter, this is what I have for you. Go after this with all of your heart and live for the reward that I have for you. So there's a warning that Jesus gives with the parable of the talents, which is essentially a story about coming into the inheritance 
that God has for you rather than forfeiting the inheritance that God has for you. And you remember the story? There's a man that has five talents. There's a man that has two talents. And because of how they respond, they receive more. And the man who has one talent, he hides it out of fear. And what happens? He receives no inheritance and his talent is taken and given to the ones that were faithful. And so I want to conclude by saying this, my friends. What we are ambitious for really matters. Our motivation matters. Our training matters. Our preparation matters. What we are focusing on really, really matters. And all of these things must be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus and watered by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And just as the story of Michael Phelps demonstrates, it takes years of preparation and training to compete in a way that you win the prize. But I'm living for that day where Jesus is going to look me straight in the face and he's going to say, well done. And I want you to live for that too. Not for all this other stuff around us. Live for him. Live for that well done that he has for you. Don't be discouraged. Don't be distressed. You know, in Colossians, Paul says this. Don't get into arguments about myths and genealogies and endless things like that. Don't get into arguments with your brothers about those things, but look to Jesus. Can I say the same thing? Don't get distracted by meaningless theories and myths about COVID, vaccinations, or any worldwide conspiracy theory. <laughs> but lift up your eyes and focus on the King and what He has to say to you and how He wants to encourage you and how He wants you to live fearlessly and full of faith and how He wants you to reach out to your neighbors and strengthen those that are feeling weak and to live like salt and to live like light because that's what He's called us to do. He has the price that He has for you. Only you can receive that price. Only you can exercise faith for your life. Only you can obey what God is calling you to do. Keep your eyes on that. Keep your eyes on the prize, my friends. It's a prize for all of us, for me and for you. Keep your eyes on that and live for that. Live for the King and run in a way as to win the prize that God has for you. Amen.